Books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. I am fresh back from visiting Paul up in Virginia Beach. Yes, last weekend Aaron was here. You know, I, I showed up to surprise him uh, at his birthday party. He and, popped out of the cake. And, you know, Paul walks into the room, he sees all of his friends, and then his eyes fall on me and he goes, shit. <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> My entire plan was to badmouth there, and that's right. And now I couldn't because he was there. That's right. That's right. No, it was a great time. I'm I'm now older. Yes, um, much older. You know, much older. I, I officially turned forty on Tuesday. Uh huh. I went to bed on Monday night at thirty nine. I woke up on Tuesday, forty, and my. And I have heel pain. Like, <laughs> I mean, like immediately when upon the clock waking struck up, I'm midnight, like, it went bing. Yeah, I was like, oh, hey, you have Achilles tendonitis now. Yeah. Um, basically, yeah, yeah. I mean, just out of nowhere. I'm like, yeah. it felt fine when I went to sleep. I stood up on Tuesday and I'm like, huh, that doesn't feel right. Uh-huh. And I've been hobbling all week. Oh, you poor bastard. God damn it. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I met your parents for the first time. Oh yeah, and uh, your parents are delightful. And I told you this. I told you this there that I, you know, just your your parents are delightful. Though it was a little bone chilling when your father pulled me aside and he said, "That Wayne guy, you tell that motherfucking cocksucking motherfucker I'm going to tear his head off and shit down his neck." <laughs> I said, "Yes, Mister Aponte." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but then, and this is why Wayne's not here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to implicate your father in anything. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, uh, totally. Uh, allegedly, he said those things. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, no, well, you've you got a great family. I met your sister. Yeah. Uh, I, it, was, it really was. It was a delightful time. And, yeah. you know, on brand for Paul, his birthday party was at a brewery. So yes, it was. Yeah. It was at a brewery with a taco bar and... It was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot I, of people. I pointed out to my wife. I said, "I said even the the menu is is Paul approved because it's meat and carbs and beer, yep. <laughs> not oh, a vegetable to be seen." Nope. Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> um, and Aaron got me an awesome Fred Hembeck, um, Hembeck, 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 Hembeck um, sketch card of Dark Side, and I love it. So thank you, sir. You're welcome. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, Aaron went off brand because apparently people asked what to get me and Jen decided to tell everyone the same thing. Liquor. <laughs> Rye whiskey. <laughs> so I have a shit ton of rye whiskey now. Well, I, I guess the difference is is that I didn't ask what you were Fair. looking for. So. <laughs> yeah, I have a I mean, one person even did like a bouquet. Of, uh, I saw that. That was kind of like cool. airline whiskey bottles, yeah. like forty of them, and super cool, super cool idea. Yeah. Um, and they're like, but what she did is she hot glued them and used packing tape and stuck them on sticks. So I spent like a half an hour, like trying to break the sticks off of these bottles, like. <laughs> so many Christmas. I mean, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> well, what, you, what you needed was like some wire cutters, you know? Yeah. Just cut them at the base. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like uh like an arrow and that, that stuck and exactly. you just kind of snap it off. Yeah, 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 and then push it through. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a great uh, party. It was a great party. I'm glad we came. Yeah, me too. Me too. And uh, you know, so but, like but, I said, my my heel stopped working. Right. 
And so, you know, I, I'm a runner. I normally run outside, you know, go do a couple miles, a couple times a week, that kind of thing. Well, now that my I can't, I'm doing a lot of like elliptical cardio at the gym. And, you know, it, I, instead of staring at a wall or watching a TV with closed captioning, I bring my phone with me. I connect it to the to the Wi-Fi in the gym and I find a show to watch. So, like, I watched the first season of Peaky Blinders. I talked about that a couple weeks ago on the show. Right. And I have finally, finally started watching Daredevil season three. Oh, yeah. What do you think? Oh, my God. It's so good. I yeah, mean, so good. I just got through the fourth episode, which uh, for anyone who is familiar with Daredevil season three, the fourth episode is the one with the 11 minute one take prison fight scene. Crazy, right? Just, you know, it made me angry. It made me angry that other shows don't even try to aspire to be right. that good. Yeah. I'm like, how? How is this so, so good? And we're going to talk about something else that feels like it's not even trying. Yeah. Um. Here, here in a minute. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I, I was absolutely blown away. And I know not every fight sequence in that show is an 11 minute long fight sequence, you know, one take thing. But it, 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 it is such cinema quality. It's better than most fight sequences in movies nowadays. Um, it's just, I, I, you know, I don't know what the fight choreographers or directors or showrunners are doing currently uh, who worked on Daredevil, but. Marvel needs to put them on something or DC needs to put them on something um, instead of them resting on their laurels, praying for a Daredevil season four. Did you see that? Apparently they're, they're reorging in uh, Marvel TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, we kind of figured that was going to happen. Yeah. The Jeff Loeb era of Marvel TV is over. They've shuttered right. that division and it's all moved under Marvel studios under uh, Kevin Feige. So all those shows are, you know, like the, the runaways, the Netflix shows, the, um, that other one, uh, Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. yeah, all that's over, you know, ending after this season. Is Jeff Cloak Loeb's and Dagger out. ending as well? I didn't. Yes. I had not heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all that's ending after wow. this season. And, uh, you know, it's all moving to the Disney Plus. And there will be future Hulu shows, but it'll all, all be under Marvel Studios rather right. than this Marvel TV division. Which, it's it's time. You know, I do think yeah. it's time. You know, that the things like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Have, are long past their prime. If there was one one thing that I would take from every Marvel show that's been produced over the last 10 years, it would be Daredevil um, I, and Punisher. But I think it's going to be hard to take those and place, you know, and find a way to keep, you know, keep the cast and, and keep the uh, continuity with everything else basically being phased out. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, but yeah. I know that there was some, some conversation when they announced the cancellation of all those Netflix shows that this is not the last time you'll see these actors in these roles. And I'm like, uh-huh. Because it's years. Right? Yeah. Like, like, I don't think they, they could do anything do... for two years after the premiere, the, the last premiere. Um, so I think we still have another solid year of them not being able to do anything with those actors. Right. So I, 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 my guess is we don't see any of those guys again, except maybe yeah. a, you know a big crossover cameo like Secret Wars or something, a la what they've done on Crisis on the Infinite Earths and on the CW. Yeah, but hopefully better than than Crisis on oh, the Infinite Earths. Oh boy, oh it's boy! I, I, what I can't get over is how bad the first hour is. I've seen uh, all yeah. three hours that that have aired, and uh, I, I can't get over how particularly bad the first hour is. The first Uh, hour, so Jen watched it with me. And, you know, she's normally, she's not a fan of these shows. And quite frankly, I haven't watched any of these shows since the last crossover. Mm -hmm. But the last crossover I felt was fairly I thought the Elseworlds crossover was great. Yeah, it was great. It was accessible. It was exciting. It was well produced. It was funny. It had good timing. 
And you're right. The production value was great. Not just in, hey, it was shot well and good effects, but the story held together episode to episode. Yeah. And the acting was good. It was uh-huh. just a great Elseworlds. And then the first episode of Crisis on Infinite Earths comes out. And I'm watching it. I'm like, this feels like a Sharknado movie. And, and Jen yeah. at one point looks at me. She's like, is this like a parody? Yeah. Like, I'm like, no, no, they're, 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 they're actually trying to be serious here. Yeah. It was so ridiculously bad. Yeah. I mean, just n- no emotional stakes. You know, they kill Oliver Queen at the end of the first episode. And, you know, they bring him back like in the second. So, you know, because, you know. You know, first of all, yes, you know Arrow's ending and blah, blah, blah. But when he dies at the end of the first episode. Dies like a you, bitch. Like I a mean, bitch, first yeah. of all. Like he dies yeah. completely off screen. You know, it's just it's – a, it's a shitty death sequence. Well, and you know there's another episode of Arrow coming. So you know he's not actually dead. So did you watch the uh, Kevin Smith, you know, Aftermath? Price's Aftermath? No. Is it worth watching? No. Oh. No. <laughs> Well, because one, it's Kevin Smith. Uh, you know, I, I I like, I really enjoy Clerks. I really enjoy Mallrats. I really enjoy Chasing Amy. I enjoyed his original stand-up, right? Uh, that he did his big his big stand-up special where he yeah. talked about Prince and whatnot. Yeah, that's about the the limit of Kevin Smith that I enjoy um, because he can't help putting himself. In everything that, that he talks about, you know, he can't help being the center of his of his little universe, um, and I I I just don't care for the Kevin Smith brand. Um, but you know, he is he is that guy that anytime somebody uh, shoots something about comics anymore, they always get Kevin Smith because he's the guy who is uh, the spokesperson for our hobby, for our fandom, and that drives me fucking crazy because he doesn't know as much as he purports to know. He is not the comic book aficionado that he claims to be. Um, at dra- I agree. You're telling me in all of Hollywood, there's no charismatic actor or actress yeah. that is also into comic books? Because I know there are. I oh, there know, are. There are absolutely I know Deb- are. I know um, yeah. Deborah and whatever. Uh, Wall, I think is her name, the, the, the lead actress from Daredevil. She's uh-huh. big into comics and D&D. Yeah. She can host a, fr- a freaking show, Joe Mangan Yellow. Like, uh-huh. there are plenty of Hollywood actors who may not be, like, you know, hosting a comic book show, but right. they, they, they could. But, you know, he... Uh... He he hosted this thing and it's terrible. And one of the, and number one, everybody's ripping off Chris Hardwick with these you know after show uh, conversations because they do everything that Chris Hardwick does in his uh, Talking Dead shows, but don't do it nearly as well. Okay, so there's that. Number two, he's talking to the actors, and this just killed me because he's talking to the actress who plays Mia, uh, which is Oliver Queen's daughter. Oh, yeah. And all she can do and all he can do is praise, and this is after the first night, right, is praise the profound acting chops of Stephen Amell in that death scene. That, oh, he killed it. He really did. He just, he really, he just nailed that performance. And, you know, when Oliver is laying on the bed dying, it seemed like a soap opera to me. It seemed like the soap opera death that you've seen a million times on, you know, daytime television dramas, yeah. uh, where he doesn't seem like he's in pain and dying. He just seems sleepy. Yeah. And that was all he did. He's Barry, you're the best among us. And then he dies. And did you notice he did that old, that 70s TV thing where he closes his eyes to die? You know, I, it would have... It, 
there was zero emotional weight no. to Oliver Queen dying. Number one, because you know he's this he's not done. There's five hours of this of this program. He's not done, right? Um, no. they, they kill him, and he just he just looks like he's going to sleep. He, there's no emotional weight for the audience, and I gotta tell you, seemed like there was no emotional weight for the for the characters in the room. I mean, I was just yeah. like, "Are you kidding?" No me? one sold it. And and in keeping with that, Argo d- uh, is destroyed, which is where all the Kryptonians who have survived the death of Krypton have uh, you know, relocated to. Um, that dies. Zero emotional weight. Um, there's this scene, this ridiculous scene where Lois and Clark, who have been uh, enjoying their uh, family medical leave act uh, parenting time on Argo, uh, <laughs> put their son John into an escape pod reminiscent of uh, when Clark was put, when Kal-El, baby Kal-El was put into an escape pod from Krypton, and they launch him into space, right? Uh, as uh-huh. Argo is about to die. Now, fortunately, uh, Lois and Clark are saved by Harbinger. Harbinger? Yeah. Is she the one who saves them, or is it the monitor? I think it was Harbinger who saved Harbinger. them. Harbinger, yeah. Harbinger uh, brings them back, you know, to one of the Earths that hasn't been destroyed. But baby Jonathan is lost in space for no good reason. The only You know, I did wonder that. Like, you know, they, they, they had the... You know, they send off the baby in the rocket, right? Right. And... Within 20 minutes, that baby's found. Like, yeah. I thought it was going to yeah. be a big thing. Yeah. But no, like, there's there is, literally no problem getting at I that think baby. All they, they just wanted, go to a different universe and get it. All they wanted was the callback to Krypton and to be able yeah. to use the same dialogue uh, from the, the Christopher Reeve Superman movie to, to use the Marlon Brando dialogue about putting the child in the, in the, the rocket. That's all they wanted to do. And that's the problem with this show. Having watched three hours of this shit now, um, there is no point to this show. Um, When Marv Wolfman and George Perez created Crisis on the Infinite Earths uh, uh, for DC Comics back in the day, and by the way, we've got a terrific Marv Wolfman interview in the feed right now. It's the episode preceding this one. Uh, We interviewed Marv ten years ago, almost to the day when we posted uh, the episode. Um, and it is a terrific interview. And lots about his experience on Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highly recommend you go listen to that if you haven't already. Anyway, when they did that, there was a point to this. There, there was storytelling in the DC universe had gotten so complex because you had all these different versions of characters living on different Earths, and it was hard for new readers to come into the universe. So Marv's pitch was, let's break it. Let's crush everything let's let's get rid of what's not working for us let's keep what's working and compress it all into one universe so there's one story and let's restart to zero let's bring everybody's story back to zero and we'll we'll start retelling our history that was the point of that and it wound up being huge it was 12 issue maxi series with all of these uh, 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 storylines ending and reformat, reforming the DC universe to to really what it is now. I mean, yeah, there's been a, a number of different events since then to reset, but that was the big one. That was the one. No one had ever done this kind of storytelling before. So you take that concept, and with all they've done in the CW shows, is that they just want to have a big event. It's not going yeah. to. It, it, has, it feels like there will be no weight to this 
largely because there's no emotional weight in yeah. in what's happened so far. Well, I think what they're going to do is after it, they're going to come back and have one universe, right? Like everyone, like Supergirl's world is destroyed, and now she's on you know Earth One or whatever. Yeah, but not everyone's going to have been destroyed because you know a- unless they the, the deaths that we've seen so far is like taking all of their extended cast. Right. Yeah. Well, you know that's not going to be true. <laughs> you know, no. you know that they're not recasting these shows. No. Um, and so I find it, I find it hard to believe that there are any stakes at the end of this. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised, but even so, they're not shooting it like it has any uh, any weight. One of the things that I noticed right off about this show, you know, when when you read Crisis. Le- the months leading up to crisis, you would see, you know, there'd be a red sky. You know, there'd be you know yeah. something something goofy would be going on. And while I have not been watching all of the CW shows, I have been watching Batwoman. And, you know, because I'm, I'm, I, I was like, I'll watch Batwoman up through crisis and then I'll reevaluate because I'm not enjoying Batwoman. I like the actress. I like the costume. Have not been enjoying the show. Um but there hasn't been – there should have been something in the sky. And the problem with Crisis, as we saw in just the opening few moments, is that the red sky appeared and all of a sudden your planet's dead, right? Yeah. There's no looming threat. It's just you're dead. And here's the thing. The cameos, while fun, are like so stupid. Many they don't work do because they're, work. they're too jokey, yeah. right? I, the, I, now, I will tell you, I am being really hard, particularly on the first episode. Uh, it, the first but, episode is shit. I mean, yeah. it, there's no getting around it. Have you watched episodes two and three? Not yet. Okay. Episodes two and three get a lot better. There's still problems, but they get a lot better. In fact, uh, there are there are two cameos that I think worked particularly well. The one with Tom Welling uh, I thought was really enjoyable. Uh, and the one with uh, – uh, gosh, what was the other one? <laughs> I had to. Uh, uh, Brandon Routh as Kingdom Come Superman. Well, Brandon, but that's not a cameo. He's in quite a bit. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, I'll, it'll come to me. I was stunned. Keep in mind, I did not watch uh, all the entirety of last season's Supergirl. Uh, I am stunned that anyone would cast John Cryer as Lex Luthor. <laughs> that know. is the craziest <laughs> casting I have ever seen. And again, you know, it's bullshit to me when you watch these aftermath sort of shows and they talk about, you know, oh, these, these great performances. And they just go on and on about how uh, John Cryer, who I like John Cryer. I mean, but I he's always going to be ducky to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or Alan go, from Two and a Half Men. Like, I, I can't, I can't, he's just a dopey character. Yeah, I can't stand that show, so he's never going to be Alan from Two <laughs> and a Half Men. Uh, but, you know, he, he doesn't have the gravitas of Alex Luthor. And, mm-hmm. and you know, for them to go on and on and say, this is the definitive Lex Luthor, I'm like, fuck you. Well, and when they have that Superman show, that's your Lex Luthor. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, ugh. no, I, I would say that, uh, that uh, in terms of television, if it's not Clancy Brown, because Clancy Brown is now and forever my, my uh, Lex yeah. Luthor, um, it is uh, Michael... What's Rosenbaum. Yeah, Rosenbaum. Mm-hmm. I thought he was great in Smallville. Yeah. I think the uh, I think many times the scripts did not serve him well, but mm-hmm. I really enjoyed him from uh, from Smallville. Now, one of the things I'll say that that I, I I I am pleased they did is that you know you had 
John Cryer shows up as Lex Luthor, and Tom Welling says, "You don't look like Lex Luthor." You know, so they they do. Yeah. They're, they're not trying to okay squint your eyes. You know, he's bald, so he's, he can be Lex Luthor. You know, they're they're not doing the shit that they did in uh, you know Star Trek Nemesis, where well, of course that's Captain Picard's gender <laughs> clone. You know, this, they they both don't have hair; they look exactly alike. <laughs> you know, they didn't do that. So when. Uh, uh, Kingdom Come Superman shows up, played by Brandon Ralph, and meets uh, the Atom, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, played by uh, Brandon Ralph. You know, everyone's like, you guys look exactly the same. So there's none of that kind of like we're supposed to suspend our disbelief that yeah. these guys are, are the same guy or look different or whatever. So I, I appreciate that. But uh, I will say, you know, I have not seen the episode, but what I've read about the Kingdom Come Superman is that it does make reference to um, things from Superman Returns, you know, yes. the Brandon Routh movie, yep. um, which was set in the, you know, um, Donner, Richard Donner right. continuity. Right. Yet, you know, the the what has happened to Lois and and some of the other cast, you know, or supporting characters in that universe in Crisis on Infinite Earths is a bit like depressing like hmm yeah and, and you know you you have to like because they make the donner reference you're like that would be like shitty if they took the donner universe and basically just killed everyone yeah right or you just have to like remove yourself and say no that's not the donner universe that's not how it wrapped up it didn't really wrap up with with everyone dying yeah but you know it, it, and that's just it, those are things that i i appreciate fan service but at the same time when you do fan service in a way that is not great, mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it becomes just frustrating. Yeah, it just looks like YouTube videos. Yeah, you know? uh, the, the, I remembered my other cameo that that I thought worked really well, and it's not really a cameo because John Wesley Ship has been in a lot of uh, the Flash. You know, playing yeah. playing both Flash's dad, and then after that, playing uh, you know the an alternate universe Barry yeah. Allen. Um, he he is in this. And there, and spoilers, this is an episode three spoiler, I believe. Um, John Wesley Shipp sacrifices himself in the crisis. It is the sacrifice that Barry Allen was expected to make and was pre predestined Mm -hmm. from the first season of the flash. Right. Um, and he takes, he, he takes that bullet and there is this great scene where he's running for his life and it flashes back to the original Flash television series with John Wesley Ship, and they oh. pull a, it pulls an image in from that, and it's beautiful. I mean that I, that actually got me. I was like, mm. oh, that's awesome. That's awesome that they did that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I think that there is some stuff here to really like, but my problem continues to be is that they haven't laid enough foundation in the storytelling. Uh, of this se- of this series, I mean, of of, of this five part series, to earn the the emotion that they're expecting us to have, and so what they've done is they've traded all of this fan service cameo stuff for time that they really should have spent storytelling, um, and and getting you to buy into some of this because wow, <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, and you know I I will say. Again, I haven't been watching these shows regularly, but you know the the Green Arrow spinoff that they're doing, featuring his daughter and the Canaries. Yeah, in the little bit I've seen of those characters, 
I have no interest in watching that show. I, I have to say, I, I do not care for the actress playing Mia. There's just not a lot of charisma or yeah. anything, really, yeah. uh, to, to carry a show for for well, and my interests. And I can, only, I can only comment from the three episodes that I've seen of Crisis so far. There's no, there's zero chemistry on screen between Oliver and Mia. And yeah. yet, you know, in the uh, in the aftermath conversation, oh man, the chemistry between Oliver and Mia, and I'm like, you know, this is propaganda. It is, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you can't fool me. I just saw yeah. it. Yeah, I saw this, and it's it's a steaming pile of crap. Well, and you know, to a, to a certain extent, I was a I liked when Tyler Hoechlin was cast as Superman. You know, the yeah. initial photos, he looked right. The first time he was on screen, I'm like, you know what, this works. But the more and more I see of him. He's too short. He's too short. He's too skinny. And I got to be honest, I do not like Lois. Oh, I can't stand her. I cannot I, I, I stand. Cannot. I, you know, I thought I yeah. would like that actress because I liked Grimm. I didn't like uh-huh. watch it all, but I saw the first season and I thought she was good yeah. in, in Grimm. But in this show, like she just the, there's no charisma between them. I don't think she's great um, in, in, in the role. And again, Tyler Hoechlin. In in the first episode of Crisis, I'm like, God, he's short. He's he's not. He's skinny. Yeah. And like he's like. Well, and you put him not, next to Brandon Ralph. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I don't know what they did in his costume. I don't know how much of that is Brandon and how much of that is just some really good costuming. Uh, but Brandon Ralph looks like a monster. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that son of a bitch is jacked as Superman. Yeah. You know? And uh, you know, uh, <laughs> as he's described in. Uh, in the aftermath, uh, in memoriam, uh, Tyler Hoechlin is other Superman. Just looks like a little weenie. Yeah, I mean he doesn't look like much. And again, the problem is, is he, he if you stretched him a little bit and just gave him a couple of inches in height, I mean Superman's got to be got to be at least six two, right? Yeah, I mean he's got to be six two. And this guy, I think, is scraping five eleven. Yeah, if we're if he's. Lying. I mean, because I, I think he and John Cryer are the same height. Yeah, I mean, it's just he's just not impo- and he doesn't need to be imposing, but he's not inspirational either. No, no. I mean, he lo- he he makes a really a really good Clark Kent, just not yeah. a very good Superman. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got to hit the gym. And I, and I do say, I do say that he he's I, I like him on camera. I just don't like him as Superman. Yeah, agreed. You know? And I strongly dislike the choice for Lois Lane. Agreed. And, and you know, and they're going to build a TV that's... show around these two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lots of crisis talk. Love to hear what you guys feel about it. Um, you know, hit, hit us up on our Instagram. Uh, Did you just I say tit us up? Tit us up. Tit us up. Is this yeah, a new tit thing? Us up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, on on Instagram, IOM Geek, Facebook, IOM Geek, or Twitter at Ideology Madness, or the IOM Geek Hotline, which is. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize that was my cue. Uh, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, we won't make you watch episodes four and five of Christ <laughs> the Infinite Earths. Well, um, so this week it was announced that the new artist for Batman, we know Tom King's run is coming to an end. We it had already been announced that James Tynion the fourth would be taking over writing duties up to Batman 100. And the series is moving to, I believe it's moving to monthly instead of biweekly. Um, yeah, I think most DC books are moving to monthly, uh, just like Superman did that kind of thing. And so it was also announced this week that Jorge Jimenez, 
from the uh, Justice League book with Scott Snyder would be taking over the uh, art responsibilities on the book, which I think is a fantastic choice because I think his art, you know, we didn't talk about it last week. We took a bye week last week. Uh, We haven't. So we didn't talk about the newest issue of Justice League, but there are a couple of two page spreads where there are multiverse characters, um, multiverse heroes taking on Lex's army. Just gorgeous. Yeah, pretty hot. Just gorgeous. And, uh, you know, he, 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 Jimenez posted some um, some preview art on uh, Twitter of Batman and Catwoman, and it's just beautiful. So I, I think I will hop back on for the start of James Tinian's uh, story arc to see how it goes. You know, there's a lot yeah. of rumors as to how it's going to end with Batman 100 and a new Batman uh, being Luke Fox and, you know, the whole, like, replacing of the older characters with the younger characters type thing. We'll see if any of that pans out. And I really hope it doesn't. You have not seen episode two of Crisis on the Infinite Earths where no. Luke Fox answers the door at Wayne Manor with his shirt open to demonstrate his six pack. Oh, and uh, it, it seemed it seemed like what they were saying is that Luke Fox and old Batman, played by uh, Kevin Conroy, are enjoying uh, a, uh, a, uh, a a a homosexual love love uh, you know dynamic uh, there. Okay. I, I feel like that's what they were saying because I'm not sure why uh, you know Luke Fox would be walking around Wayne Manor half dressed. Well, to be fair, if you look like that, you'd probably walk around half dressed too. <laughs> Paul, I do look like that. <laughs> and I walk around half dressed, <laughs> regardless. Well, you know, since we're talking about Batman, I did pick up this week's uh, Dark Knight Returns, The Golden Child. Uh-huh. Um, written yeah, by and, Frank- and okay. you know, when I saw that, that Paul picked that up, I said, hey, Paul, if it's any good, let me know. I'll read it for the show. And so, Paul, who, who, who made this book? Who made this book that would make me question the quality of it? <laughs> well, it was Frank Miller. Oh. On writing, and Raphael Grandpa, who 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 draws beautifully, he does Raphael. draw beautiful. And I will say, I have nothing but love for the art in this book. Um, you know, it, it's got some Miller touches to it, um, but it's it's better than anything he's done in years. Mm-hmm. But this book is just terrible. It's just <laughs> terrible. Um, so the con- it's it's a one shot, and it's set in the Dark Knight Returns universe, but. Years later from the end of DK3. So now we've got, uh, years later, we've got Batwoman, who is Carrie Kelly. We've got Superman and Wonder Woman's daughter and Superman's son, Jonathan. And it's about them years later. And the whole story takes place on Election Day. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to kind of describe the story here. We're Darkseid and Joker. And this is a new Joker you know, because Joker died in Dark Knight Returns, but this is a different Joker who's just somehow exactly the same. Um, Darkseid and Joker have teamed up to, I guess, get Donald Trump elected. <laughs> <laughs> and the the heroes basically have to combat the agents of chaos and, uh, you know, keep, keep, you know, because they're controlling the masses and causing bad things to happen and it's just it's a fucking ridiculous book um and i don't understand why dc doesn't clamp down on that shit i don't know and you know the problem and one of the main problems is that dark side talks so much uh-huh and you know how frank miller is frank miller can't like there's so many words on the page and each like every three words is in a different box because frank miller has to emphasize everything right um and and repeat things 
And Darkseid talks a whole shit ton in this book. And I'm a fan where Dark when Darkseid is a man of few words. But he talks a lot in this book. Like a yeah. lot. Um and so the book, despite the gorgeous art, um, and despite some interesting concepts, is just stupid. <laughs> it's just stupid. And, you know, yes, there there has always been a political satire angle to Dark Knight, um, even the original work. And I would say this is very in line with DK2. Um, I think DK3 was a little bit more subdued uh, with some of that stuff because Brian Azzarello was co-writing it. So it wasn't as quirky. Uh, so I would put this more in line with the uh, the Dark Knight Strikes Back, um, which, you know, had the whole political angle with 9-11 and Lex Luthor and all that crap. Um, so that that's that's this book. And I would just I would not recommend it. I think it was five ninety nine. Um, again, I liked the art, but God, I just need to I just need to wait. I'm, the problem is I keep buying this shit and I'm going to keep <laughs> buying this shit, but I might but I should just wait till it's on sale because that's what I did with Dark Knight three. Um, and I've still, I not read all Dark Knight. I've still not uh, read the rest of Dark Knight 3. It's not worth it. I mean, it's yeah. just not worth it. But yeah, I, it, I, 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 I was torn because the preview art looked so good, but I kept going, it's Frank Miller. Frank Miller. Yeah. And Fra- Frank Miller is has long surpassed his sell-by date. Yeah. You know, he, uh, he just doesn't have that thing that he used to have. You know, and I... I love his book Ronin. In fact, I'm rereading it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Dark Knight Returns. Um, I, I love 300. I love his work on Daredevil, and I like most of Sin City. Um, I just can't Oops, bear yeah. his his current uh, his current work. Mm-mm. It's just you know, I don't. Know. I, I've not seen a positive review of the book, so I can't really. <laughs> and I can't say well, some people like it because yeah. I I that clearly isn't the case um and I, i'd be interested to find out how sales were from this book like is it still is the juice still worth the squeeze yeah of letting him question. do stuff yeah i just feel like you know i know a lot of creators like don't don't edit me don't give me notes and i feel like somebody like frank miller really needs that i, I feel like he needs to work inside the box he needs to work with a problem right how do I tell yeah. the story I want to tell with these editorial guidelines? Yeah. And he's either he is either has a deal that he doesn't get edited or the editors are afraid to edit him. But you know, mm-hmm. I, I truly feel like they need to they need to work with him and say, "Look, we want to give you some create we want we want you. We want you to do the, this work, but we're going to edit you and we're going to we're going to yeah. give you notes and we expect you to abide by them." Or Go do your creator-owned stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like it's so it's, funny. It's you know, it's funny to me that the well, he did Xerxes, um, which I think was last three hundred. Yeah, yeah, which was pretty terrible. Yeah, I read uh, the first issue of it. It looked terrible. Yeah. So you know, a spoiler warning. I only enjoyed one and a half books this week, <laughs> and that's because I didn't finish reading Undiscovered Country yet. So that's uh-huh. the half that I enjoyed uh, <laughs> um, of that book. And in in the other five books that we're about to briefly talk about, I only enjoyed one of them. Okay. So was it Superman 18, Paul, where Superman reveals to the world that he is, in fact, Clark Kent? It was not. Um, I really disliked this book. And, you know, it's not because I disagree with the concept of it. I think, for me, the problem with the book is exactly what we're talking about with the first episode of Crisis on Infinite Earths. There is no emotional weight to this book. Yeah. Um, it... 
the fact that Superman revealed his secret identity to the world, and one, you didn't read about it in USA Today, or it wasn't a big news item, there weren't people lined up at the comic shop, you know, for the speculator market, no one gives a shit. Right. And, you know, I, I have to believe that part of that is, one, the fact that it's not a milestone issue, and two, it's not particularly well handled. I mean, don't get me wrong, the reveal's fine, there's nothing particularly bad about the book, um, the art is pretty well done by Ivan Rice, but you know, for something that's supposedly so big, even though we just saw it a couple years ago, right. um, I think that's the problem. I think yeah. the, the the because we've seen it so recently, it's a problem. You know, it's like we've done this story; we're just going to tell the story a different way. I, I I I really feel like that's the problem is is the recency of this story. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, you know, there when he actually does the reveal, no one really seems impacted or affected by it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, other than Perry, Perry White, they have a, a, I, a nice sweet moment. I did think that was a nice scene. Which is, you know, in in this entire book, the fact that that's the one page without words. Uh huh. It goes to speaks volumes uh, yeah. to how you know Bendis's writing is, uh, but also the other the other person who's most impacted. You know, which is it shows all on his face is Lex Luthor, right? Which you know, it it's interesting because it shows this um, year of the villain. You know, Lex is with is in the tower, whatever the freaking Legion of Doom headquarters uh-huh. or whatever, um, with the other Legion of Doom members, and he's Apex Lex, and you know he sees the announcement and turns into businessman Lex. Uh huh. And I'm like, I, I, yeah, why? I, when did that happen? Like, did, has yeah. he been able to do that this entire time? Because we haven't seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, did that basically undo his apex powers? Or, like, I don't... It was just odd. It was weird. It yeah. was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially since, you know, the next page after that is an ad for Hell Arisen, a Year of the Villain event uh, featuring the Batman Who Last versus Apex Lex. So I'm like, I guess he's still Apex Lex, but he just has the ability to change. I don't know. It just came out of nowhere. Um, so for me, Superman 18, it didn't. It just. It didn't. It didn't land. Didn't land. It yeah. was just there. It exists. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you said. I didn't. I expected to hate this book all altogether, and I didn't. Uh, so that was surprising for me. Um, I feel like the missed opportunity here was that I think you really could have made a strong case for why Superman has to reveal his identity. And that case is that his son has been aged up to age 17 when he was 11 or so when he left town, right? Yeah. You can't you can't hide that, right? And, yeah. you know, CPS is going to be wondering what the hell happened to your kid. Yeah. Um, I think that's the case you, they needed to make was that, you know, yeah, he's been... I, I also think, because Bendis says he's been wanting to tell this story for over a year, right? That he's been building up to mm-hmm. this. Well, if you've been building up to this, you should have laid some groundwork. And they did a little bit of that with Lois, where Lois tells her father uh, before the Leviathan story, right? That, yeah. you know, Clark is Superman. Um, but they should have, you know... There should we should have seen some dialogue between Lois and Clark before Event Leviathan about this, and then when John comes back and he's seventeen years old, well, shit, and then he goes off to the future. So now that's even worse 
because how are they going to explain that? I mean, I think I think that that should have been what pressured the decision. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm not trying to you know say that that uh, uh, I could write this book better than Bendis. I can't. Bendis is the professional writer, but as a reader, I don't feel like the case was made effectively to uh, as to why this happens now, right? As to why, even though his mom and dad are deceased, right? Um, and that's true. They're they're still mom, and pa, Kent are, are still dead, right? In this universe, I think that's yes. true. Yes, um, I, I get confused as to who who's alive and who's dead. Um, but even though they're deceased, you know, Lois still has a sister. There's Lois. There's Jimmy. There's everybody. I mean, everybody at the Daily Planet was always at risk anyway. But Lois, I mean. It seems to me that if you're any any kind of bad guy and you're really if you've got a death wish and, and you want to hurt Superman, you've got a, a wide ranging field of people you can hurt now, and yeah. that seems silly to me. You know, conversely, we look at a TV show like Watchmen on HBO right now, where the police are wearing masks because their families are in danger, um, and we see that in in Mexico, for instance. You know, we see that yeah. in in uh, in our world. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in third world countries, uh, where law enforcement has to protect their ident- identities because narcos yeah. uh, will, uh, will will gun them down. Um, it seems crazy to me when we see that Superman is frequently off planet. <laughs> you know, yeah. where he can't protect Lois. And you know, don't get me wrong, Lois is a fully actualized character. I love what Greg Rucka is doing with her in the Lois Lane book. You know, mm-hmm. she is fully capable of taking care of herself, except when Darkseid shows up. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, there are there are horrible, horrible things in the DC universe that now know, well, you know, and if we can't get Lois, we can get her sister. Yeah. So I, it seems a, it still seems a silly choice, even though Clark on the page tries to describe why the reasons for my secret identity are really no longer valid. I don't need to keep uh, this secret from you. I don't want to lie to you. And I don't think it's a lie to, you know, it's not like you're saying, no, I'm not Clark Kent. You're just not no. letting people into that, that part of you. You know, it's like, it's, it's like when you have done something in your personal life, uh, you're not lying to people. You're just choosing not to share that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I it's this argument between transparency and lying. Transparency is where you do everything out in the open and you let the world see who you are. And I get Superman's desire to do that. But he was not actively lying to people about his identity as Clark Kent. Unless somebody comes up and says, hey, Clark, are you Superman? No, no. I'm not. What, made you th- what made you think uh, that? I wear who? glasses. Superman doesn't <laughs> wear glasses. That's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's silly talk. But, uh, yeah, I, I just I don't feel like the case was made. I don't disagree. So, for me, you know, not a swing and a miss. Um yeah. You know, I, I liked some of the way the the Zod storyline wrapped up, and I'm looking, and you know, I'll see how this plays out over the next issue or two. And you know, the, I've been hit or miss on this whole Bendis thing for, to begin with. Yep. So we'll see how the book goes from here. So, Paul. Yes, sir. Um, I think I can just go on record now and say that uh, the 2099 relaunch from uh, from Marvel is balls. With, is with the exception of that first issue is and that the Fantastic Four book uh, is crap. 
yeah. is just crap. Total crap. They, they shit the bed on Doom 2099. And the Spider-Man 2099 book, really? just so you know. Yeah, because I, I read both of them, and they were both terrible. Well, you know, the Doom 2099 book, uh, they essentially decided to rewrite uh, the Doom 2099 origin. So instead of telling us a story that continues the Doom 2099 story, which is what I thought they were going to do, they redid a new origin. And I'm just, I I was disgusted by it. I was so angry with it. I I love Doom 2099, the original run. uh, And they just, I feel like it was, this book was written by someone who has no appreciation for what came before. And it's written by Chip Zdarsky, who I genuinely like. Yeah. Uh, But it was basically just like a, Honestly, it was like a one-shot that had nothing to do with anything. And that's my problem with the 2099 books versus the Annihilation Scourge books, which we're about to talk about. Um, The 2099 books are a bunch of one-shots that don't further the story. If you wanted to, you could just read 2099 Alpha and 2099 Omega and be done with it. None of the one-shots add anything. They don't further the story. It is literally just a snapshot or a rebooted origin for a character, but it doesn't like have anything to do with the overarching thing that they've established in fact i don't even know what the hell 2099 omega is going to be about because there isn't actually a story here other than doom and the watcher thing but like you know i don't understand what the the what the there is for me the fact that they're wrapping up some kind of crossover but it's kind of a non-crossover it's it's odd to me like with again well we can just kind of talk about them hand in hand annihilation scourge had an opening act Uh each store each of the four one shots Despite the despite levels of quality, because Beta Ray Bill was not good, um, and Beta Ray Bill is the only one that I haven't liked so far. Yeah. And you know, I, I think Beta Ray Bill is a challenging character to write. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone's done it well, other than Walt Simonson. Um, he is a difficult character to draw. Uh, yeah, and you know, neither the art or the storytelling were up to the challenge in Beta Ray Bill. But that said, Silver Surfer was fucking fantastic. In fact, it was Dan Abnett, surprisingly good. Dan Abnett, if you want to write a Silver Surfer series, get on it. Yeah, and the art was good on it too. Consider, you oh, know, it we, was, it was we, beautiful. You know, and it took some cues from that Silver Surfer black book. It did, yeah, but it was so well, much in better. Fact, <laughs> in, in fact, picks up from the Silver Surfer black. Is that what it's called? Yeah, uh, it picks up from from the events of that book, so it's in continuity. Um, I thought that book was fantastic. Yeah, this, I, I, not, and, not Silver Surfer Black, the the, the Annihilation. Correct. So yeah, the Annihilation Scourge Silver Surfer. But you know, Silver Surfer is another character who's difficult to write, and I think very few people. I mean, I don't even think Stan Lee wrote him particularly well. Um, I think that uh, visually, uh, Jack Kirby, man, the diggity bomb yeah. on, on Silver Surfer. Well, I mean, but, the the Silver Surfer for me that that the only Silver Surfer that has really worked. Has been the Jim Starlin, Ron Mars, Ron Ab- Lim Silver Absolutely. Surfer. Absolutely, and yeah. that—that's where I was going. Th- that's my Silver Surfer, and this felt more like that in terms of the in, ter- in terms of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely love Silver Surfer. And last week, you know, Richard Ryder Nova is my Nova. Um, I, you know, I like uh, you know the kid Nova, but I don't love him. I love me Sam something. <laughs> yeah, Sam, Sam something or other. Sam something. Uh, uh, but I uh, I really enjoyed the, this, and it picked up right from uh, uh, you know Richard Ryder having come back from the cancer verse. So he's got this emotional link 
into mm-hmm. what's going on, and he's got some massive PTSD, right? Uh, and it doesn't shy away from that. And it's so the same thing. This is what this is what I love about the Fantastic Four Annihilation Scourge book, and what I think is missing from the current mm-hmm. run of Fantastic Four by Dan Slott. Because if you'll rec- recall back in the Hickman run. Human Torch died, right? Yes. And he died uh, saving uh, the Earth from an invasion from the Negative Zone. He sealed the Negative Zone portal from the Negative Zone side, and then he was killed by uh, Annihilus's uh, uh, armies, and then brought back to life, as you are in, uh, in the Negative Zone. And he endured this horrible trauma and time passes faster on the negative zone side of things than they do here in the prime material plane. And so he spent a great long time uh, in his experience in the negative zone, suffering and leading an army. And he's got PTSD from that, but we never see that in the regular pages of the fantastic four ongoing, but they talk about it here and Annihilation Scourge, Fantastic Four. And it's fantastic. Yeah. And I love the idea of Human Torch coming back and being accepted as this returning hero to lead the armies of, mm-hmm. of the Negative Zone against the Cancerverse. I fucking love that, Paul. Especially since Human Torch is usually just the background character, right? Well, and he's you know, usually fa- just... Yeah, he's usually the guy who's playing pranks on Ben. He's, yeah. usually, the, he's usually rather vapid and shallow. Um, but that's not who he is here. No. And when you really get to see him be a hero in his own right, independent of his family. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I thought it was, I, honestly, the Annihilation Scourge books, and again, you know, to, to my point um, about the difference between that and 2099 is they're basically the same um, type of publishing thing, uh-huh. which is that there's a, an alpha, there's a bunch of one shots, and then there's an omega. And, it, what the fact that it doesn't work in 2099 is because none of those books are connected they're well one they're all shit okay. um but two they're not connected they're not telling a story that 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 you know has an ending it just yeah. kind of it's just a bunch of one shots with court with like twilight zone ish endings essentially yeah. um whereas these annihilation books they 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 essentially all take place concurrently i mean there there's a little bit of continuity between the nova and the fantastic four in that nova kind of takes place right after the Fantastic Four book. Um, but I, I think these these are just so well told, and they, and they are leading to something. Like, we've gotten yes. all four, and now we're going to see how the story wraps up in the Omega book. Yeah, You know, I had it in my head that Abnett was writing more than just the Silver Surfer book, but I guess he's not. Which is kind of funny, considering how much he's was, you know, had a hand in the You're original right. uh, books. Yeah. Yeah, no, I found that really surprising. But man, I I haven't read a good Silver Surfer story in a very long time, and it was so refreshing. And I'm reading it, and I'm going, "This is exactly what Silver Surfer is supposed to be." I mean, it was it was just right in the pocket. I mean, it was right in the groove, Paul. Yeah, yeah. I just wow. It was so, it was so good. It, was it so really good. was. Yeah, I yeah I you know we were talking to Wayne earlier this week. Uh, and you know, Wayne has never read an Annihilation book. You know, he didn't read the original Annihilation series. He's not read any of the, the subsequent. Uh, books. I didn't read them when they came out. You know, I, yeah. I I did read them upon you know in trade paperback. Right, but uh, you know, Wayne is afraid of them because he's like, well, it's a lot of continuity. I'd have to catch up on, and he's right. There is, but I I, I think this bo- this series. If you've not read the other stuff, 
uh, I think they explain enough in these books to make it new reader friendly. I think you certainly get more out of it if you've been along for the whole ride. Yeah, I mean, you know, who the, as long as you know who the characters are, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, I got boy, I, 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 I really, really am enjoying Annihilation Scourge. Me too. And I'm going to be sad when it's over. Well, that actually brings us to next week's books. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, Aaron, first of all, let me ask you something. Are you sitting down? I am, in fact, sitting down. Okay. And um, so next week is December 18th. Uh, In addition to, you know, the big, big release of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker at the end of the week, uh, there, there is just a ridiculous amount of books next week. Like, you know, the average comic week for me is probably around 25, 30 bucks. And I complain about it because it's like five books, right? Right. Well, you, you spent $6 on a book this week, Paul. Yeah. Like, next week is probably legitimately an, an $80 week. Oh, shit. So let's, let's go. Let's start from the top. Okay. <laughs> All right. 2099 Omega, number one, comes out next week. How much is that book going to be, Paul? Four ninety nine. That's not too awful. Okay. So we're going to go through the prices as well. Okay. Secondly, Annihilation Scourge Omega comes out next week. Four ninety nine. Uh-huh. So, so we're up to ten. Uh, all right. I, I'm, that, that's just one. I'm, I'm, I'm going down the list. Basketful of Heads, number three, from Joe Hill. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that comes out next week. That has a cover price of three ninety nine. Um, we don't read Batman, but Batman 85 comes out next week, uh, cover price four ninety nine. It's the conclusion of Tom King's Batman. Yeah. It's Earth. Tom King's last book, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we're just going to skip over that one. Batman last night on earth comes out next week. I'm so, not reading that one either. Oh, you're not reading that no. one either. The, no. the three issue. So it's the final issue, you know, it's three, right. three books. That's five ninety nine. So I'm up to 16 bucks. Okay. <laughs> Batman, Superman, number five. Issue. I am reading that one. Yep, yeah. four bucks. So I'm up to twenty bucks. Uh-huh. Doomsday Clock number twelve. Finally, the final showdown between Doctor Manhattan and Superman comes out. Cover price five ninety nine. Shit. Uh, I'm not reading Harleen, but Wayne is More reading Harleen. Yeah. Um, Harleen issue three, the final book comes out. Um, Infected, uh, the Commissioner, uh, written by Paul Jenkins. You know, these are those Year of the Villain oh, one shots. Yeah. That comes yeah. out four bucks. I might pick it I up. Won't be re- I we'll won't see. Be I like Paul Jenkins. Invaders next issue- week will not be a, a week for me to speculate. Fair, fair. Uh, <laughs> Invaders know. issue 12. Uh, now, I'm way behind on Invaders, um, uh-huh. and this I'm is current. the final issue. I'm current. Oh, yeah. are you? Okay, well, the final yeah. issue comes out next week. Four bucks. Cool. Okay. Justice League number 38, the Justice Doom War finale. I, I don't, I think this, no, I think there's one more issue in um, Scott Snyder's run. Uh, after this, but this is the big finale, uh, 399, Justice League number 38. Justice League Hell Arisen, that we just talk, talked about, which is the finale of the Year of the Villain, um, the four-part finale, comes out next week, 499. Are you reading King Thor? I am. All right, well, issue four, the final chapter of Jason Aaron's run, comes out next week, 599. Oh, dear God. Legion of Superheroes, issue two, 399. Okay. Um, the new Joe Hill book, The Low, Low Woods, uh, from Hill House Media, or Hill House Comics, comes out from DC, uh, three ninety nine. Once in Future, issue five, comes out, three ninety nine. 
Picard Countdown issue two comes out next week, four ninety nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Superman smashes the clan issue two. I enjoyed issue one. I may just wait for a sale. Issue two is seven ninety nine. Um, here's this is there's a book coming out called Wonder Woman Dead Earth. It's a DC Black Label book. The art looks gorgeous on it. Um, I don't know a lot about it, uh, but it's six ninety nine. Damn. Suicide Squad issue one uh, from Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo, the the creative team behind Injustice. Yeah, uh, comes out it's a next good week. team. Yeah, cover price four ninety nine. Damn. Yeah. So that those are, those are the main books. There are a couple of like you said. Uh, next week is not a speculator book week, but there are a couple of interesting releases, including um, a re-release from IDW, what they're calling the facsimile edition of the Star Trek the Motion Picture. Uh, comic book uh, adaptation yeah. uh, by Marv Wolfman and Dave Cockrum. And I am picking Buster that up. Jen. That's five ninety nine. Yeah. Um, Star Wars: The Rise of Kylo Ren, uh, written by Charles Sewell. I'm, I'm I might check out how that looks because I like Charles Sewell and I like what he did on the Darth Vader book. Yeah. So I may also check that one out. So a lot of stuff comes out next week. Yeah. Well, you know, it feels like they're stocking the shelves because it, you know, the the period between Christmas and New Year's yeah. is generally pretty light for comics. So it is. It's a, like you know, I, it is a stock up week for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. But you know, out of all of it, I am super duper psyched, super duper psyched for the conclusion of Doomsday Clock. Like I will Damn wake up straight. Yeah, I will wake up that morning and I will read that book straight away. <laughs> <laughs> well, good grief. Well. Uh, Paul, it's been good catching up with you. You know, it, it'll be uh, you know some time before I get to lay eyes on you again. But uh, you know, at least we've got this. We've got this on a weekly basis where you and I can get together. Sometimes with our friends, sometimes without our friends. We're, this is we can have just a little special quality alone time. Yeah, our special time. <laughs> our special time. It was a yeah. Christmas gift. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have a good week, Paul. Okay, take care. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 